um, there were some bills that were brought up that really, this is not um, anecdotal, this isn't fear um, pushing or anything like that, but uh, they really will be responsible for people dying. And we're not okay with this. And, um, and a lot of people dying, not just some, but a lot of people dying. And uh, one of them is uh, drug overdoses. They're gonna, they're gonna make it extremely easy for people to have drug overdoses because they're setting up drug centers. So we're fighting against that. We're fighting against a very strong um, anti-Second Amendment bill. So we started Thursday morning at 9 o'clock in the morning, and we did not finish until 7 o'clock Friday morning. And uh, so if you know how that works, you're filibustering that whole time. You cannot, you have, somebody has to be talking the entire time. Because if you stop, they can call the vote, it's over, done, we move on. And so we filibustered for however long that is, 20, 22 hours. Um, they, uh, the Dems were very upset at us for doing this because we talked about a lot of very important things, core values, Christian principles, all this kind of stuff. They were very upset at us. And so, um, and they get to make the rules because of the majority party, so they made us come in yesterday. And we worked all day yesterday until 6 o'clock last night um, doing the same, the, some of the same stupid conversation uh, about all this. Now, why am I saying this? Some things have been happening over the last couple of weeks, and I saw them culminate in the last two or three days. Now, I'm going to tell you this. It, it sounds a, a little bit, this sounds about me at first, but it's not. I want to try to explain this to you. But uh, you guys remember when we first started this, my caucus hated me, right? Because I stood up for some things day one, and it really made them mad. And, uh, but we've been seeing that shift and shift and shift. And, uh, and I do get up and I speak for very long periods of time about things, which is what you need to do when you're trying to push things. And, um, and so everybody jokes about everything, but they made a meme. <clears throat> the Republicans made a meme and started passing it around to other Republicans. And it's from the, it's from the Hulk movie when um, Loki says, uh, they're talking to Loki and they say, uh, well, you have an army, but we have a Hulk. Right? They made a meme with me in the meme, and it says, you have an army, but we have a pastor. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> now, <laughs> there was others too, but um, some of the others are actually funnier. But, but what is happening, guys, is I've been watching... So I have the uh, reputation now of being the guy that will get up and... In fact, when I get up to start, when I walk down there to start to speak, all the Republicans will start saying, um, release the Kraken, release the Kraken. You know, so... <laughs> now, why is this important? I want to tell you something. This is, this, I've been praying about this and praying about this and praying about this. Uh, a lot of the other Republicans are doing the exact same thing I'm doing with the same amount... Of, well, not, I do longer because I'm, I do that, but but they're doing the exact same thing. They just see me differently, but they're doing the same thing. And one of the people that disliked, disliked me the most at the beginning stopped by about 4 o'clock in the morning on Friday morning, stopped by my chair and said, do you see all these people up, all these Republicans up here speaking, doing all this? I said, yeah. And he said, you started this. He said, you're pulling them to you through your leadership. They are becoming better conservatives. And I thought, you weren't even that great of a conservative. But... But here's the thing, guys, this is not me doing this. Do you understand that, right? 
this is the Holy Spirit that I believe is getting in people's minds and hearts and opening up to who they wanted to be. But they couldn't because of the controls and the social pressures and everything else. And yes, God is using me. I'm not taking that off the table. If I'm going to spend all night filibustering, I'm going to take a little bit of credit. But, but here's the thing is God is doing something. And they're talking. I got up and preached a little sermon during one part of the bill just because they needed to know that Jesus believes in people and, and these bills do not believe in people. That's a long thing. You can go online and look at it. I'll probably put it on my website or something. But then all of a sudden after that, for the next few hours, they're talking about Jesus. And they're saying, and many of them said, our pastor, I'm not their pastor, <laughs> but I am their pastor, right? So guys, for... I, if I can do this in that setting, you guys can do it in your setting. There's no difference. You can do it in your setting. Just be who Jesus has told you to be. And sometimes it's a little scary. Sometimes when I'm walking up to that well, I think, oh, it's about to go bad. Because I know what I'm about to say. But you know what? That's why God sent me there. Say it. Say it. Be it. Do it. God will use you. God, God's got way bigger plans for you than you ever thought possible for you. But you're going to have to step out there some. Okay, that's sermon number one. Sermon number two is actually kind of the same thing, all right? Um, so the title of this is The King is in the Room. And I'm talking about, the, the, I, I want to use two stories. One of my, we know well, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I'm going to show you a different one that's a little, we don't know as well. But this idea that when Jesus steps into to the room, whatever that room is, your setting, when Jesus steps into your setting, he really does change everything. But you've got to be to the place where he steps into the room. We, gotta, we, gotta, we have some responsibility to this. We spend too much thought, energy, spiritual energy and stuff in Christianity nowadays saying that Jesus is going to do everything and that he's going to take care of this and he's going to do all this. He will, but he expects you and I to be doing stuff to set that, that table for him. Okay, Daniel chapter 3, verse 13, when Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, and um, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him, because they didn't bow down, right? When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods, little g, or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue. I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will, immediately, you, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then, there's a great sentence by Nebuchadnezzar, and then what God will be able, able to rescue you from my power? Well, Neb, you're about to find out. It's not a little G, God. This is the great I am. And he's about to show up on the scene and you're about to get a lesson of who God really is. And when the king steps in the room, everything changes. Everything changes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we, don't, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. I don't think they could have imagined that they would actually be thrown into the furnace but not be burned. I don't, I think they were just, this was kind of a faith not knowing exactly what's going on. God, we know God's going to deliver us. And, and the next sentence is let you know they really didn't have a plan of what that was going to look like. But that, I don't think they thought that Jesus himself 
was going to step into that furnace with them. There's no, I, in my opinion, there's no way they could have imagined that. He says, um, they say, but even if he doesn't, even if God does not save us, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. We will never serve your gods. As this is so important in today's society. We have so much, I have so much wokeness moving through the church. It's, it's taken over major chunks of our society, but it's, it's pushing through the church. And I mentioned some of this last week and a couple weeks before that, some of this stuff. But I'm also amazed there's some pastors across the country. I'll give you one that you, you may not know who he is, but you can look it up and know. But um, he pastors a very large church in Dallas, and I went years ago... Like 15 years ago, I went down there to go to his church for, for a weekend and kind of study what they were doing and see. It was, it was probably more than 15 years. And just see what, what was good or bad about this church. And I really, I really kind of walked away disappointed. It, it really felt like the Tonight Show to me. The stage, the lights, the everything, the, the crowd, everything. It just felt fake. It felt plastic. And, um, and I wasn't real um, um, impressed. And uh, with some of his messages and some of the other things over the years, I just haven't been impressed. But a couple years ago, I started noticing a transition, a little bit more than a, a transition with this guy. His name's Ed Young. And I started noticing a transition that he was moving away. I think God did something in his spirit and his heart because he started moving away from this plastic fakeness, this wokeness. And, and he actually had a conference just recently, uh, How the Church Needs to Stop Being Woke. And he wrote a book about it. I'm paying attention to him again. Because that's not the norm. We've got a lot of the other guys that are just going woke, woke, woke everywhere you can. That we're not going to address anything. We're not going to talk about sin. We're, not gonna, we're just going to make sure everybody feels very comfortable and entertained in our services. Well, to me, that's a God issue. That's a spiritual issue. That This sentence um, that... That there is, uh, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. You have to do this as an individual, but also churches do this um, from leadership mentalities. And, and here at Briargate, this is, this is going to always be our stance. We're never going to serve little G gods. We're never going to serve the gods that society is presenting to us. We're going to serve the only God, the one true God, Yahweh. We're going to serve the, the God above all gods, the king above all kings, the God of the Bible. That's it. It does not, doesn't matter what else is presented to us. And a lot of these little gods, little, little G gods that are presented to us sometimes don't look like, well, most of the time they don't look like gods. They look like um, options out there. I, I, I tell you something that happened. This is just one of those things that, just like an encapsulated moment, we just one of the times over the last three days that we've been nonstop testifying and speaking and doing all this kind of stuff, they were coming up with one of the bills, and, <clears throat> and the sponsor of the bill got up, and there's a horrible bill. It's a drug bill that, that will kill people. It will. And they got up and said, we're going to discuss this, um, this uh, bill, and here's the bill, but we want to let you know up front, these are the words that you cannot use while you're discussing this bill. I was kind of half asleep, and I'm like, huh? This is what they said. You cannot use the word addict, drug addict, because that's demeaning. Except that's the word drug addicts use for themselves. 
And um, they said, you have to use something, I can't even remember, it was something like um, chemically distorted persons of choice or something. I don't know. It was, it was a strange, and I'm going, no. And then they gave us a whole list of words we're not allowed to use. And then when one of our uh, representatives got up there, even the chair, he said drug addict, and uh, the chair gaveled him and said, now remember, we made an agreement of what we're going to use and what we're not going to use. And I'm sitting down there in the well beside him, and I just hollered out, we still believe in free speech. But here's the thing. These are little gods, guys. This wokeness is little gods that we're going we're gonna to bow down to this ideology or this mentality. Those are little gods. And you can see it in a lot of places across society where we've been told this is what you must believe. And so, therefore, you have to bow down to that golden idol. But you and I, we have a choice. You can say no, and I did get up later and explain how we're not going to go by their rules. But um, there's the thing. You could choose. I am not going to bow down to that. I am not going to submit to that. I know that God created me, and I serve him and him only. I don't, dis- I don't serve this social direction or this agenda or thing. I serve God. And in every single circumstance, in our workplace or whatever, I serve God. I don't serve this company. I don't serve this thought process. I serve God. And this is what, this is what they're saying. So Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. Let me help you out. This is a, um, this is a demonic moment. In case, you, in case you're not seeing this, his face began to distort and change. This is, this is the demonic. This is the demon manifesting itself in him. See, well, how do you know that? Because I've seen it. I know what this looks like. Um, many times I've prayed for demon-possessed people to, uh, pr- to, to pray the demons out or cast demons out. I don't like the word cast demons out because it's not what I'm doing. I'm letting Jesus do that. But, but, um, and, and I've seen it where their voices change, their face changes, their body changes. I've seen this. This is a real thing. And we see it a handful of times in the New Testament, too. And I think this is what's going on here. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual because fire hot is not hot enough. So you got to have seven times fire hot. Then he ordered some of the strongest men in his army to, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So he tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, which means... The fire burned their ropes, but not the hair on their hands. That's cool. I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Now, I, I pick on Linda for this, but I want to show you something God's kind of showed me through this. We were, this was quite a while ago, and we first, the song we sang this morning, the, there's another in the fire um, that... Uh, 
we were driving to church whenever we first started introducing this song to the church, right? And uh, we were driving to church that morning. She says, well, I'm really excited about singing this new song this morning. I'm like, what song? And she said, the third man in the fire. A song about a Bendigo? Is that... He's third, right? I mean, you never hear him first. He's always last. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. So we're going to go sing about Abednego this morning. The third man in the fire. So, but here's, here's, now I'm going to continue to pick on her about that. But here's something that I thought about. Do you realize without Abednego in the fire, Jesus doesn't show up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood, got tied up, got drugged down, fire seven times hotter and thrown in, and then Jesus showed up. He didn't show up till then. He didn't show up when they were standing. He didn't show up when they were being tied up, being ridiculed by the king. Didn't show up bringing them down. Didn't show up when they were turning the fire. But when they got thrown in the fire, he showed up. This is one of the things I've found in my own life, and I've, and I've heard this from so many people over the years, is we get so irritated with God and sometimes mad at him that he's not showing up when we need him to show up. But he always shows up when he needs to show up. Not when we think he needs to, or the timing that we have, or whatever. He, he knows what he is going to do. But see, here's an important statement that they make. Even if God doesn't rescue us. See, I think faith in God is about serving him because he's God, not because he's going to rescue you. Can you serve a God that will not rescue you? Because sometimes he doesn't. He knows why. He knows what he's doing. But sometimes he does not rescue when, and specifically when we think we should be rescued. I serve God because he's God, not because he's going to do something for me. He's, Jesus already died on the cross for me. If he doesn't do anything else, that was, that was more than I deserved. If he never does anything else, I'm serving him because he's God. Not because he provides, not because he heals, not because he puts my life together, not because he empowers me. It, those are all results of the relationship, but that's not the point. Those are, those are amazing things that we stand upon, but that's not the point. We serve God because he's the I am. That's it. He's the I am. So I'm going to serve the I am. And then all of a sudden, Jesus steps right in the middle of that fiery furnace. And it says that they were walking around <clears throat> and they were talking. So here's the question. I've always wondered this. And we don't know the answer. But I wonder what they were talking about. Don't you think that would have been a cool conversation? Maybe, maybe Jesus, I don't know what he was talking to him about. Any speculation would be purely speculation. Somewhere in there, though, he probably said, hey, guys, good job. Right? Don't you think? This is absolutely amazing to me. See, see this is one of the things for me that kind of connects is, and, and I think for all, every, almost everyone, if not every one of us in here, this would be, similar, is you know those times when you're standing for the Lord or you're saying something or doing something and nobody else necessarily knows, but Jesus just steps into the room 
And you know he's there. You know he's with you. You know he's walking with you. You know he's speaking into your life, covering you, protecting you, whatever. No, maybe nobody else does. And maybe, you're, maybe if you wouldn't explain that to somebody else, they wouldn't understand it. They would think you're weird or strange or whatever. But you know. And those conversations between you and Jesus are just you and Jesus. And they're not necessarily things that you tell other people. But you know Jesus stepped into the room and you're different because of it. Those are the, those are the moments I, I, I live for. That when Jesus just says, you know, we, we know at the end he's going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. But don't you think he says that throughout your life too? I've experienced that, not, not like out loud, but just in my spirit. I know Jesus is saying, you're doing good. You're doing good. Stay strong. You're doing good. Right? He, he, if you say, oh, I don't think Jesus has ever said that to me. Listen harder. He, he is, but listen harder. You, our, we have trained our American Christian spiritual ears to not hear that stuff. Although all through the New Testament, it talks about he wants to do that. He's going to be constantly be giving you visions and dreams and speaking to you and, and prophetically speaking to you so you can prophetically speak, all this stuff. But we train our ears away from spiritual depth and into just kind of, well, I got it. I got this thing called Christianity. I got it, control of it. And, and the supernatural God of the universe that created this whole thing you got control of, he is trying to speak and change and convict and, and, and build up and motivate and all these kind of things. But we have to be listening to that. And you have to train yourself to hear that stuff. You have to, you have to seek the Lord, praying in the Spirit, listening to understand, oh, this is what his voice sounds like and feels like. Let me show you another story. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. This one's not as well known, but this is one of my favorite visuals that Jesus does. See... Uh, when Jesus shows up, there's times when he shows up to protect us from the fiery furnace, right? But sometimes he shows up, he shows up as God over the false god and false gods, and he shows up to kind of um, kick rear and take names. That's what he does. And he does this all through scripture. This is one of these moments. Verse 1. After the Philistines captured the ark of God, they took it from the battleground at Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod. They carried the Ark of God. You know, this is the Ark of the Covenant that they made with the two um, cherubim, the two angels facing each other, their wings stretched out. With the inside there is Ten Commandments, uh, the, the, the staff of Moses that uh, grew, um, the uh, manna. Uh, these things are in the Ark of the Covenant because this represents God's presence on earth with his people and the things that he's done. These are, what's in, these are what is in the, the, the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. And, um, and so they're taking this Ark of the Covenant because why? They defeated the, the Hebrew people. They defeated them in battle. And so they took the thing that represents their God, the Ark of the Covenant, and they said, ha, our God, Dagon, defeated the God of the Hebrews. And so uh, we're, the, we're the winners and our God is stronger, right? So... That's a really dumb thing to say. They carried the ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. But when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen on his face, fallen with his face to the ground in front of the ark of the Lord, almost like it's, 
He's bowing down to this. Almost like he's in submission to this Ark of the Covenant. So so this is the thing that these, these people think that because they defeated the Hebrew children, which were not being obedient to God, um, and they take this Ark of the Covenant that they've won, and then God, this outside transcendent God that created everything, in fact, he created the stone that they carved the God of Dagon uh, out of. They, and this is, you know, God looking at this, and they bring, they bring the Ark of the Covenant into this little temple, their little God standing there, and God's looking at this, and he's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to let this one go. So he just, poop pops over the little god of Dagon, and he falls down before the Ark of the Covenant. He might have rolled over, so he made sure he was face down. So there's no confusion what was going on and who was in charge of this thing. So this, this kind of freaks him out, right? Um, <clears throat> so they took Dagon and put him in his place again, because it was probably purely coincidental. But the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the ark of the Lord again. This time, his head and his hands were broken off and were lying in the doorway. God's like, nah, just kink, put the head there, break your little hands off. I mean, God's in charge of this thing. Just like he's in charge of your world right now, he's in charge. And, they took, and he took the head and the hands, they were broken off and they were lying in the doorway. Only the trunk of the body was left intact. That is why to this day, neither the priest of Dagon nor anyone who enters the temple of Dagon and Ashdod will step on its threshold. Then the Lord's heavy hand struck the people of Ashdod and the nearby villages with, plague of, with a plague of tumors. You, you know, this is important because we have, we have got to the place in modern American Christianity where we really think that God does not hold us accountable or judge us anymore. We've really gotten to this place that when bad things happen, it, there's no way that that really is about God and all this kind of... I remember when 9-11 happened and Pat Robertson came out and talked about this as God's judgment upon us as a country. The church went nuts. How dare you say that? God doesn't do this stuff anymore. Does he not? Does he? You, you, think, you think it was just a, a, a little attack from a religious... It was a religious... This is what most people don't... Think about it. was a religious attack, attack upon our country. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an economic attack. It, wasn't, it, was, it was Islam saying, we think that your country is, is uh, the, um, the great Satan, the reprobates. What do we call them? The um, infidels. And so we're going to attack you. Now, I don't know. I don't know if this was God or not. But to say that it isn't just because, well, he doesn't do that anymore, that God is, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I really do believe these things happen. Oftentimes they're happening because it is judgment against us, but we're not paying attention. And we don't care, and we thumb our nose at God and say, well, no, that was just a military thing, or that was just attack, or, or, or whatever. Guys, it, it, this stuff is all through the Bible. And yes, the cross does change the conversation um, to some extent, but God's the same. And so we've got to be careful of this. I just saw a, a, a blog the other day from uh, Joel Rosenberg, and he was talking about uh, the, 
the, um, er, the uh, earthquakes and the floods and everything that's going on? And is this biblical or not? And he goes through all this. I didn't listen to it all, but I jumped into some of it. And he was, ta- he was just reading out of the scripture. This is what happened here. This is what happened. It looks just like what's happening now. Why, is, why do we make it different? Because we've graduated out of those days into to where we're now our own gods. Be careful because the book of Revelation is a lot of judgment against the people on this planet. All right. Thank you for clearing that up. We'll move on. When the people realized what was happening, they cried out, We can't keep the ark of God and Israel, of the God of Israel here any longer. He is against us. We will all be destroyed along with Dagon, our God. Yes. Because why? Your God is nothing. Your God is something you created. Yeah, sure, Satan inspired it, but you created it. And you think somehow it has power. So they called together the rulers of the Philistine towns and asked, what should we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And because they were not equally represented, the rulers discussed it and replied, move it to the town of Gath. Sorry, Gath, you should have been there. So they moved the ark of the, of the God of Israel to Gath. But when the ark arrived at Gath, the Lord's heavy hand fell on its men, young and old, and he struck them with, plague of, with a plague of tumors, and there was a great panic. So they sent the ark of God to the town of Ekron. They're, these are not bright people. But when the people of Ekron saw it coming, they cried out, they are bringing the ark of the God of Israel here to kill us too. All of a sudden, they're worried about God. All of a sudden, they're worried about who he is. Before, they were all about their God, Dagon, and we're going to bring the covenant to submit to our God, Dagon. And now they don't, they don't want to have anything to do with this. But, but the reason they just keep moving from city to city is because when the darkness closes your eyes, you'll do a lot of, you'll do a lot of um, stupid things to keep defending your life and your existence and your belief system and your whatever. This is one of the things that I see every single second of every day up at the Capitol is we believe so much in our darkness that, that we think everybody else should think exactly the same way that we do. The problem is, is the, the scripture, and I've actually read this on the floor, um, that, that in the last days they will believe a lie. That means they voluntarily choose to believe this lie. Well, this is the same thing we're seeing here. They're believing that their God, Dagon, is bigger than, than God. And everybody keeps breaking out in tumors. When do you go, wait, enough is enough? Well, that's where they are. <clears throat> the people summoned the Philistine rulers again and begged them, please send the ark of God, of the God of Israel, back to its own country, or it will kill us all. Yes. For the deadly plague from God had already begun, and great fear was sweeping across the town. Those who didn't die were afflicted afflicted with tumors, and the cry of the, from the town rose to heaven. So you can set up all your, your um, false gods, your social lies, your uh, cultural deceptions. You can set that up however you want, but God is still God. And he's the God that will never change. He is the great I am. He is the one who created everything. And uh, what I mentioned earlier, I got to had the opportunity, I thought, you know, I'm just going to do this. And I preached a little sermon about how Jesus, um, 
that, that the state sees people as being trapped people. The state sees drug addicts as drug addicts. I said, but you know what? That, that's why the state's ability to rehab people is, is their success rates in the high teens at most. And I said, but you know, there's such a thing as faith-based rehab centers, like um, Teen Challenge. And I said, and their percentages are in the 80-plus percentile of success. But the state won't go down that road. Why? First, because those are faith-based, and how dare we think God can do anything, or that there is even a God. But what we do is we keep going to the same system, which says what? These people are drug addicts, and that's all they'll be. And I, and, I, and I said from the floor, I said, but Jesus looks at this differently. And I look at this differently. I see people as being redeemable. That they don't have to be drug addicts. Jesus is bigger than that. They weren't really enjoying my message. But, but I do know that some were listening because they talked to me about it later. Guys, some of, the, some of the things that I'm seeing the Lord doing is very surprising to me. I talked big when I headed up there, you know, God's doing, and then God's doing it way more than I thought, and it kind of catches me off guard. He's changing people's hearts and lives, both sides of the aisle. But you know what? Jesus does believe in you, and he wants to show up, but part of what we have to do is stop bowing down to our little gods, our little thing. And this is one of the ways that we do this is we say, I'm, I'm stressed here, or I'm pressured here. Whatever. So I start reaching for my little gods of what? We've got like um, drugs or alcohol or relationships, inappropriate relationships. We start reaching for those because why? Well, those will fix this. Those are our little gods. Those are little gods. And this little God will help me here. And this little God will help me here. Instead of saying, Lord, I submit and surrender this life to you because I'm not God. And I'm going to stop creating my own gods. You're the king and I'm not. You're the, you're the savior, the redeemer. I'm not any of those things. And I can't even get close to being those kind of things. But Jesus, I submit to you. John chapter 20. <clears throat> no, matter, no matter what we do with our life, Jesus is still the king over everything. <clears throat> so our responsibility should be to submit to that king. John chapter 20, verse 19. This is after the resurrection. It says, That Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. I love that. I... I and, and I, not in a visual sense like that, but I have felt, and I know you have, where you're, you're, you're going through something, you're in pressure or something, maybe at work, at home, or whatever, and all of a sudden you can tell that Jesus just stepped in the room. Because you know what I'm talking about. You know what that feels like. Jesus just stepped into the room. You say, well, I don't know for sure what that feels like. A few things you can do. One, really seek him with this, whatever the issue is. And then pay attention. Pay attention to the fact that Jesus does want to show up. He wants to be a part of your existence. He wants to be involved in what you're involved in. And he wants to help you. And he wants to take care of you and provide for you and all these different things. And all of a sudden, Jesus was just standing there. I like to think there was that sound on Star Trek. You know, maybe there wasn't. Maybe I'm adding to the Bible there. I don't know. 
Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. I've thought about this. A million years from now, Jesus is, we're in heaven with Jesus. And, and this is Jesus we see in Revelation where his f- flames come out of his eyes and the sword comes out of his mouth. And uh, he's majestic and he's, and he's, he's uh, shining, glowing kind of thing. When we're there with him, are there still going to be wounds in his hands and in his side? I personally think, yeah. Because for the rest of eternity, we're going to be able to, to be reminded of this tiny little time on earth and Jesus died for us. That the king of everything. You guys have heard me talk about this. I think the greatest miracle, a million years from now, when we're looking back, The greatest miracle for us now on the earth looking forward is the cross. But the most miraculous thing when we're way there somewhere and we're looking back, I think is that the king took on human flesh. The incarnation is actually going to be the biggest, most miraculous thing. That the God of everything, the creator of the universe, the logos, the word, the transcendent one, squeezed himself into a tiny little human body just so he could be close to you and I. And so we could hear and see the glory of God. I, I, I just, I, that's overwhelming to me. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is a sermon that I heard Again, when I was in college, my father-in-law spoke this, and he, and he said, you know how easy it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Just breathe. Jesus breathed out. We breathe in. The church is what makes it difficult. Our, our denominational baggage is what makes it difficult for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Our own insecurities and fears and stuff is what makes, us, that makes it difficult for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus just breathed, and they breathed in what he was breathing out. And by the way, the the Holy Spirit, his name, pneuma in Greek, literally means means wind or breath. And when you go to 2 Peter, it's tied to to God, and so it means breath of God. The Holy Spirit's name means breath of God. And all we have to do is breathe in the breath of God. How amazing is that? What cannot be done when the king shows up? We, we always have re- reasons and things, and, and, and I, I hear people discuss this stuff, and theologians discuss it, and write books, and all this other kind of stuff. But what cannot be done when the king shows up? We have plenty of stuff we think that Jesus can't do. Well, here's the thing that religion said was not possible. These are the, these, I just made a quick little list. that we, You could make a huge list from the Bible of this. Religion says these things are not possible. Walking on water, parting the sea, dead come to life, small armies defeat huge armies, close the the mouth of lions, start plagues, stop plagues, stop the rotation of the earth. That's that's a big one. I keep saying I'm going to speak about that. I need to. Hammers floating, someone flying in the sky on a fiery chariot. Armies fighting themselves, a man stronger than hundreds of other men. These are all the things that religion says can't happen, don't happen. 
And God says, challenge accepted. Why don't you stand with me? Guys, what we need is for Jesus just to step in the room. Right now, not just like at your work and the other places which are true too, but we just need Jesus to step into the room. And, and, and it's amazing what he does when he steps into the room. So I know there are things going on in our lives, stuff we need God to do. And so <clears throat> this is what, is what I want us to do. We're going to pray about, uh, we're going to pray about, we need God to do things. We need miracles. We need stuff that's bigger than us. Every, every one of us in here has at different times in our life, uh, times when we need God to intervene because we're not big enough. Some of you right now, you're going through some stuff physically, relationally, financially, whatever. You're going through stuff and you need God to be bigger than you. Well, that's good because that's who he is. He likes to show us that he can do anything. He enjoys it. So I want us, I'm going to pray for us first, but when we're finished praying, I'm going to invite you to come down and we're going to have people pray for you. But to but to say, I, I really need God to do a miracle in my life today. I need him to do something big. I need him to do something bigger than me. And don't, don't try to classify what, what a miracle is. It's just, if you can't, let God. If you can't do it, let God do it. Right? Let me pray for us. Lord, I, I submit this moment, our time of prayer, I submit it to you. But Jesus, we just want you to step into the room and take control of the stuff we're dealing with. Take control of the stuff. Jesus, you are bigger than anything we're ever going to deal with. You're bigger than false gods. You're bigger than ideas that we come up with. Lord, you're bigger than our social constructs. And Lord, you just want to be God over everything, and so we submit to you. So God, as we're praying, we pray in the name of Jesus that you do what you do. That you do the big things. Lord, we thank you for this. Open our hearts to just let you take control. In Jesus' name. So I'll invite you to come down front. You got something you need God to do? Come down, just line up along the front. We're going to have people stand behind you and pray. But you say, I need God to do this miracle. I need him to do this. Join me down here. If uh, you're being prayed for and you want somebody to anoint you with oil, um, ask them. We've got the bottles of oil. And if you're doing the praying, um, don't just anoint them. Ask them. <laughs> um, we, we do see where James 5 says this, though. Anoint them. Pray the prayer of faith. Guys, that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray a prayer of faith. We're not going to pray a prayer, God, help us uh, deal with this. Help us kind of be comfortable with this, the state of life we're in. Why? Why pray that? 
Why don't we just pray, God, you supernaturally jump in the middle of their world and change it. Fix it. Do the big stuff. So anybody that wants to come down and pray, join us down here. And um, let's pray for what's going on. Lord, we lift these needs up to you. You're the great I am. You're the everything, Jesus. You're the God over all gods. You're the king over all kings. And Lord, we know that there is nothing too difficult for you. So Lord, we ask you just to jump into our world, our lives. Lord, we know that you're already here. But we want you to jump into our existence. Lord, invade our sensibilities that say you can't do this or you can't do that. Lord, open our eyes spiritually, open our spirits and our hearts. We just, we just accept that you're God above everything. And there's nothing that you cannot do. And Lord, your heart is, is, is for us to do all, do all the things that we need you to do. God, you heal us, you set us free, all the different needs that are going on up here. Jesus, we ask you to take care of us, provide. Just be big. Just be really big, Jesus. And amaze us and surprise us with how big you are.
picture the king. Can you feel him? The king is in the room. And we honor you. Just breathe on us. Jesus. Can you hear him? Can you feel him? The king is in the room. And we honor you. sing this with Pastor Sam. Can you hear him? Can you feel him? The king is in the room and we honor you. Can you hear him? Can you feel him? The king is in the room we honor you. Can you hear him? Can you feel him? The king is in the room and we honor you. Can you hear him? Can you feel him? The king is in the room and we honor you. Can you hear him? Can you feel him? The king is in the room and we honor you. Can you hear him? Can you feel him? The king is in the room and we honor you. Yes, we honor you. in the room and we honor you can you hear him can you feel him the king is in the room and we honor you can you hear him can you feel him the king is in the room 
and we honor you. Can you hear him? Can you feel him? The king is in the room, and we honor you. Yes, we honor you. We honor you. So uh, let me let me leave this with you before we take off. I've seen where I'm saying from my own life. I've seen where God will do something in my mind, my spirit. Just really, really bless me, or, or even heal me. I don't think I've ever told that story before. A time when God healed me, and the next day I really begin to question it because of some things. I begin to question it. Guys, Jesus, Jesus is Jesus. Don't let Satan tell you stuff. Don't let him lie to you. Don't let him change what God did or is doing. Just let him be. And that's where your faith comes in, where you say, no, this is where 2 Corinthians 10 comes in. I take every thought into into obedience of Christ because he's going to try to mess with your head. Well, Satan's not big enough, so don't let him do it, right? Stay strong. Stay strong in what Jesus is doing. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know that Jesus loves them. Guys, do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus. God will so honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad they're here, even if you have to make it up. And we will see you Wednesday night.